Scripture reading for this morning is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. Paul writes, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has been witnessed to at the proper time. For this is for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. And I will invite Reverend Gabriel Ling to preach his sermon entitled Religious Education. Reverend Thank you, uh, Reverend Anita, for the reading of God's Word. And good morning, church. Are you awake? Should be uh, already almost... Uh, yeah, 11. <laughs> anyway, um, my sermon title this morning is Religious Education. And let's begin with, you know, asking ourselves two questions. Is religion educational? And also, is education religious? Think about the two questions in your mind right now, entertain that for 10 seconds. Is religion educational and is education religion? These are some of the questions that we ought to uh, ponder upon and we will kind of answer this morning over the pulpit. Now, if you are away, if not, then just blame the MCO. <laughs> um, our annual conference, Bishop, uh, Bishop Jayakumar, he actually has come out with this vision statement of the Methodist Church of Malaysia for four years. So there you go, the four teams, so-called, for the four, uh, four years. And in our church, the way we uh, go through this team is that every year, for these four years, um, every year we will have three months of uh, sermon, you know, duty roster for each of the team. That's why earlier on this year, from the month of January to March, you have heard the pastors, the local preachers uh, touch on church, right? The area of church. And the second quarter was on families. Uh, you have heard sermons on uh, families, the importance of uh, generational discipleship, stuff like that. And this month, starting today, all right, July, all the way until September, we will look at the theme on enhancing education. And also why my sermon this morning is called Religious Education, in line with the theme of ed enhancing education. And the last three months of this year, it will be on engaging the nation. Uh, just to give you a bit of heads up of what is to, to come. Now back to the two questions earlier on. Don't know if you have uh, the answers in your mind already. Is religion educational? Is education ed education religious? Now I believe that often the times as we can't think about these two so-called uh, entities, in our mind, the best 
practice. What is the best practice? Is to separate them. All right, that is the common and uh, very popular understanding of uh, as we look at religion, as we look at educational. In our mind, straight away we think like it is best for them to be separated. But in reality, however, that is often not the case. I'll take Malaysia for example. In Malaysia's education system, for the past uh, few years, for the past few decades. Um, that have been controversial issues, issues such as what? Jawi, alright? Uh, the controversial issue over bringing in Jawi to the primary uh, school text, um, other things like taking out the uh, Hantuwa, uh, this figure from history uh, textbook, because they found out that, oh, he may be a Chinese, right? So it's quite sensitive. Um, I feel like you are tensing up, huh? Just cool down a bit, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'm not, uh, I'm not saying, uh, things, you know, over, overstating certain things. Other things like, you know, in, in the Malaysian education system, you have to learn about certain tamadun, right? Uh, glorification of certain, uh, tamadun. And the question is, are these all purely educational? Are these issues, are these controversials, you know, purely educational? You and I, we know the answer. Uh, there is um, a degree of uh, religious agenda involved. As far as I know, the Kermas preschool, Kermas is the preschool uh, established by our government in the name of appreciating the Islamic culture and tradition, um, preschool children, can you imagine uh, kids like three years old, four years old, then the parents register them, send them to the Kermas Tadika, so called, huh? and they are taught to recite, and this is compulsory, one of the compulsory uh, subjects is to recite our, from, verses from our Quran, and they are exposed to Jawi language, maybe they, they were not taught or maybe they were taught but anyway they have been exposed to Jawi language to Islamic tradition stuff like that there are currently 8,307 maybe it has increased by now but uh, currently there's 8,000 over Kermas preschool in the whole of Malaysia and guess how many of these Kermas preschools are in Sarawak out of the 8,000 over how many Kermas school has been, have been set up here in Sarawak. Now, let me show you this uh, news article from the year 2018, just a couple of years ago. In 2018, already Sarawak is number one, the, the, with the highest number of Kermas in Malaysia. It's actually Sarawak. Okay? As we speak now, I believe that there are more than 2,000 over the latest figure should be by uh, 2018 it was 1,500 over by now it should be more than 2,000 okay are this all purely educational arrangement you can think about the question yourself I remember one of the compulsory subjects that I must take 
Um, I, I study in the local government university in UTM, University of Technology Malaysia in JB. And one of the compulsory subjects that all the uni students we must take, you know, you must, you must register for this one. It's called Tamadun Islam. Okay, Tamadun Islam. Again, uh, all this purely educational or oh, it helps the students to learn better or it helps us to understand uh, each other better so that we can live in peace and harmony with each other uh, my doubt is that you know one way understanding may not be the best way of mutual understanding and living in peace. Certain emphasis has been given to certain religion in the education system of Malaysia. And some of us may go like, well, in Malaysia that's the case, but maybe in other countries um, that's not the case. Maybe in places like, you know, uh, US, those places that are more advanced, they are, they are so-called the free world, um, US, UK, these places. Maybe at the part of the world, education and religion, they are finally able to function independently, finally be able to, you know, function healthily in that sense. But um, it is not true, okay? In the attempt to so-called neutralize the influence of Christianity in that part of the world, because all these countries, Western countries, the root is Christianity, or you can call that Christendom, huh? the kingdom of uh, Christianity. And so part of the attempt to kind of uh, put down the influence of Christianity, they embrace another kind of culture, and another kind of worldview, uh, secu secularism, or you may put, give them another name. So much so that one of their congressmen, uh, a couple of months or a few years ago, uh, he prayed, he prayed, ending with a man and a woman. Is that how you pray? Uh, usually we pray and then we end with Amen. Uh, but then this congressman in the US, uh, because he wants to, you know, as a, as a part of the attempt to neutralize and uh, part of the attempt to, to, uh, you know, reaction to the religious influence in that nation. He actually ended the prayer with a man and a woman. A few years ago, one of my friends, uh, he's still in New Zealand now, pastoring the church there. And he shared with me that in the New Zealand school, one of the storybooks, the must, one of the must-read storybooks to the children, preschool children, uh, kindergarten in New Zealand is entitled, don't be shocked by the title, it's called My Two Dads and me. Can you imagine this kind of storybook must read to all children going through the education system of that nation? And what is the reason for this book to be included in the curriculum in the name of appreciating a diverse, you know, family structure of the society? People are called to appreciate, to accept um, uh, the diversity of family structure that we have never seen before, never found in the Bible, but it is now 
surfacing in not just the, U, uh, the, the New Zealand, but I believe in Australia and even more so in places like UK and US, uh, where the pro-homosexual movement are gaining momentum. My two dads and me, my two moms and me, that's another book for you. We may not be able to say that, okay, this kind of uh, secularism or this kind of uh, movement is religious. We may not think like that. But if you think carefully, they, we, you can at least say that they have this religious impact. Okay? They have that religious impact. They carry with, with them anti-Christianity kind of uh, worldview. And so, I must say that it is religious because it's a direct opposition to some of the very foundational beliefs, some of the foundational values shared by people of one book, all right? Values like the family unit, uh, values like God being the creator God, stuff like that. There are certain ideologies that has been inserted in every education and schooling system in the world today. And some of these ideologies are direct confrontation. Uh, some are indirect. Nonetheless, they, carries, they, they carry with themselves religious values, religious influence, whether you want to recognize that or not. My friends, indeed, re- education is religious. Now, at the same time, we can also say that religion is education, educational as well. Our passage this morning is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, where Paul actually instructed. You know, the, the whole background for 1 Timothy is, is that Paul was writing to Timothy, of course, but he was also instructing the people uh, who were with Timothy. And Timothy was... was uh, task to set up the church to build up the, the church and where he was the community and this is what Paul wrote let us read together I urge then first of all that petitions prayers intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness so Paul urged for prayers to be made for all the people. And in our context this morning, uh, it is educational. Paul was teaching, was educating the people to live a religious life. And part of the life, simple instruction to pray, right? Paul is giving religious instruction here. What you should do as a Christian? Oh, Paul say, first of all, you should pray for all people. Who are these people? Or you should pray for the kings. You should pray for people who are in authority. Why should I pray? Or so that you may live a peaceful life, so that you may live a quiet life. So specific religious instruction uh, was given, you know, to the people of God, so that they learn how to cultivate, uh, you know, religious lives that is in line with their faith, that is in line with their religious um, piety, so-called. None of us is born an adult, alright? Any of you, when you, you, were, you were born, you were already this big. Uh, all of us, we went through um, the toddler's age, our childhood, and we learn, we grow along 
the way. And so people need to be educated. It is the same as we, as we come to look at religion, the area of religion. Uh, the, the aspect of education is there as well. People need to learn how to pray. Uh, simple instruction. Okay, you may look at this and then you, you may go like, this is so easy, don't pray, right? But people who just become Christians, your children, your young children at home, they may not even know what is prayer. Uh, it's, very, it's very common to you, it's very familiar to you, but it may be so unfamiliar, even though it's so simple to people who just come to faith. And so people need to be educated. Our children, young children, need to be taught. And that's what Paul is doing here, giving religious instructions, simple, okay? Yet it is still needed. Uh, I urge you to pray. Pray for the people, the rulers, so that you may live in peace. And so here we see that religion can be educational. Religious Education is supposed to produce people who are religiously and morally upright. Um, isn't that the case? That's the whole purpose, right? We educate people religiously. All of you are listening now. We educate you religiously so that the aim is that so that you become, uh, you know, more committed to Jesus, so that you, you become more morally upright. You know, things like that. You become more mature. You cultivate godly virtues. And then later on, verses 3 to 6, let us read together. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Paul laid down the goodness of the gospel. This is good. And then uh, he, he talk about the, talks about the gospel, which is not alien to us. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. The good news is that God has a good plan for us. God wanted all people, right? He wanted all people to be saved. He wanted all of us to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that truth is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came for our sin, who lived life 30 over years old, who died on the cross for our sins so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but has eternal life. Can you recite what I just recited? I believe you can. We know the gospel account, the, the whole content of the gospel like the back of our hand. Right? We should be. If you are Christians, for a few years, for decades, then you should know the content of the gospel. But the question then is, to what extent do we say that you know people are transformed simply by laying down the truth? Can it transform people? Uh, simply by putting before someone, a non-believer or even a believer, we just present the gospel. Would it automatically transform that person? I'm not sure how moral classes are being conducted in secondary school nowadays, but in my time, it was conducted, moral lessons uh, was not much of a difference uh, than any other classes. So during the moral class, the moral teacher 
uh, will carry the textbook and then come in, put the textbook down on the table, flip open, and started to explain moral to the students in the class. Uh, this morning, I asked whether um, it is still carried out like that. And uh, the youths affirmed, yeah, the teachers still you know, teach a moral class like, like that. And I remember a joke that runs around in my secondary school last time. People actually say that whoever gets the, the highest mark in moral lesson is the most immoral person in the class, right? Yeah, that's what I, this is true story. That's what I've heard from my, from, from my friends. And, you know, it's supposed to be a joke, but I believe that this joke, this statement brings out the fact that we don't have much faith in moral lesson to transform the lives of our youths, to, to help you know, uh, our youths to be more morally upright. We don't think so. Imagine if I'm, I'm, I'm your moral lesson teacher this morning and all of you, you, know, you are my moral lesson students. Huh? If I ask you, if you see you found a wallet Okay, on the floor. One day, as you pass by, you know, walk, walk by, and then you found a wallet lying there. What should you do? What is the right answer? Oh, I should bring it to the police station. Right? That's, the, that's supposed to be the right answer. But let me ask you, how many, let's say if we have 100 students, okay, 100 youths going through moral lesson okay out of these hundred moral uh, so called the hundred students how many of these hundred students will actually take the wallet to the police station if you think that hundred out of hundred students would do that would you raise out your hands I want to see your faith <laughs> none none this morning also the same none we don't believe that our youths would actually do that. We don't believe that. We don't believe that our children would actually do that. Fine, not hundred, Pastor. How about fifty? Fifty out of hundred secondary school students today in Sarawak that would actually take the wallet and go to you know go to the police station. Would you raise out your hands in the name of having faith in our youths? None of you this morning they have more faith, you know. <laughs> right, thank you, Brother Mehun. <laughs> now, this morning, there were also only a few. What does that tell us? We don't believe that our moral, moral lesson actually is able to convert the heart of our youths. Maybe now let's try someone who is more mature adults. How many of you actually believe that out of 100 Sarawakians today, 100 will bring the wallet to police station? No? Fine. Let's do 50 again. How many of you think that 50 out of 100 Sarawakian adults would actually bring their wallet to the police station? There are a few hands. Thank you. I admire your faith. Most of us, we don't believe that's, that will be the case. If we do, drop 100 wallets, we believe that less than 50 will be found in the police 
station. Even the adults don't believe in that. My brothers and sisters in Christ, my point is this. We may know the right answer, but we may not have the right action. When it comes to moral lesson, we may, our youths may give the right answer, but they may not leave out that answer. Same goes to adults today. What is going on in our mind? We may be thinking, you know, we, have, we may have other um, thoughts going on. We may think like, even if I don't take this wallet, the next person who will pass by will take the wallet anyway. So I might as well take it, you know. That's what is going on in our mind. It may be what is going on in, in our mind. Or, worse still, we may think like, even if I send it to the police station, the police will take it <laughs> and blame me. <laughs> My, my, my friends, these are some of the very, very realistic concern that one thinks about as we live in this world, a sinful, fallen world, and we struggle with the worldly influence. And these are really realistic struggles, realistic concerns that all of us who live in this world, we go through. You know, in our mind, we think about these questions. But the moral lesson teachers are not concerned with your concern. The moral lesson teachers are only concerned about right answer. Or if I were to ask my students, uh, what would you do? Then this student better give me the right answer. Bring it to the police station. I will give a tick and that's the end of the story. Whatever concerns that you have, whatever struggle you have, that's not my, my concern. Examiners are only interested in the right Answer And so every logically able student will be able to answer well those questions, but they are simply not convicted of their answer. And I must say that this is the reflection of the kind of moral life even as we turn to look at Christian community today. This morning, as we pondered upon the extent of uh, religion being educational and education being religious, we must heed the Word of God, saying, Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Your righteousness must exceed those of the Pharisees. Sarawat is the last land standing with majority Christians. We used to have Sabah and then we lost them. Sarawat is the last piece of land in Malaysia with majority Christian, you know, population. But can we say, dare we say, that Christian influence is so evident in Sarawak here that wherever we turn, wherever we go to, whether the marketplace, whether Kopitiam, whether our home, wherever we go to, we can see Christian values everywhere. Dare we say that? Or most of the places, dare we say that? We don't dare to say that. We don't feel that. We don't see Christian influence. We see that 
here and there, but not everywhere. Not most of the places, not, not in most uh, business sectors, right? That is a sad reality. I remember when, when I first uh, found out that I, need to, I needed to go to uh, JB, Johor Bahru, because uh, I studied there, uh, my uni, I did my uni there. But when I first found out that I'm going to JB, some of my relatives, some of my friends are really concerned, you know. They, they were concerned that, um, that yeah, because it's, it's one of the, supposedly one of the most dangerous cities in Malaysia. KL is on, on, the, on the list, but JB is also <laughs> on the list. One of the most dangerous places to uh, live in, in Malaysia. There has been a saying going on among the locals in, in JB. Uh, later on, I found out, and, and th- this is what they say. The locals say that if you are a local, okay, or if you have spent a number of years in JB, then you must have been robbed before. <laughs> That's how bad it is. And I found out that it is true. I lost my phone there as a student. Uh, someone just took it away from me. Uh, either then they say if you are not, you were not robbed before, then you, one of your friends, personal friends, must have been robbed before. And that's true as well. In 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 JB, that's how bad things are. But the funny thing is that you know, later on I found out that the the taker of the gangster in JB. You know where he came from? My hometown, Cebu. It's true. He ran from Cebu and then he ran over to JB. <laughs> and I was like, hi, Cebu. That's when I grew up. So I have, thank God I have survived in two of the most dangerous <laughs> places to live in in the whole of Malaysia. But why this story? You know, Cebu is the one of the earliest settlements in uh, for Christian in Sarawak. The HQ of of the Methodist Church in Sarawak is in Cebu, not Kuching, ah, huh? <laughs> is in Cebu. In Cebu, uh, I'm not exaggerating. You can drive one or two minutes, then you will see another church. Drive another two minutes, you will see another church. All right. So many churches in Cebu, yet Cebu is also a place where gangsterism abound, where you have those uh, culture of um, underground gambling, drugs, um, illegal prostitution, uh, gangsterism, stuff like that. I remember growing up, um, I went to, my whole life is, is um, connected with uh, uh, Methodist. I'm a Methodist pastor now. I went through kindergarten, uh, primary school, secondary, Methodist school. All right. I remember in my primary school days, uh, Methodist primary school, uh, I have seen students, primary students, age 11, 12, and then they, they took this, uh, uh, I don't know what you call that, uh, huh? bat or whatever, and then they went around beating people uh, to the extent of they challenged the teacher uh, of course, later on, they were expelled, stuff like that. Secondary school also, the influence of gangsterism. Methodist secondary school is famous for, for, for two things. Number one, students with excellent results, OAs, right? Number two, students with, with depraved moral or conduct, you know, um, premarital pregnancy, stuff like that. And it happened in a Methodist school 
How come in a place, in a town such as Cebu, where you have majority Christians, and yet we don't see Christian values being lifted up? We don't, we don't see the influence, the light, the light, the influence from Christians. It's very sad. How come in a place such as Sarawak where majority, at least 4 out of 10 Sarawakians would call themselves a Christian? Actually more than 4, 4 point something, alright? We are the majority, yet our voice, our influence is insignificant. Why? Because most people can give you the right answer, but they are simply not convicted. Most people are like the students who are seated in a moral lesson and they can tell you, Oh, Jesus is the Son of God. How do I go to heaven? By trusting in Jesus. Is there God in this world? Yes. What should I do as Christian? As Christian, oh, I should be the salt and the light of the world. But this answer, these right answers are simply not the answers in their hearts. Uh, when bright comes before them, <laughs> this is so lovely, so thick, you know. Taking bright, um, family issues, parenting issues that are not dealt with properly, and yet they can give you the right answer, just like any secondary school students who can give you the logical answer but may not be the right, the, the, the real answer in their hearts. My friends, we must be careful. People can see that we are true, genuine, or that we are hypocrites. Our children can tell whether we are genuine or whether we are hypocrites. Let us move on to verse 7 as I bring the sermon to a closure. Verse 7, Paul says this, And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Paul said that I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. I'm not just saying that I will pick out the wallet and give to police station. Well, actually, I will do like, uh, you know, I'll do otherwise. No, Paul said, if I say that, I'm going to do that. I'm not lying, I'm the truth. Uh, I'm telling the truth. And what is the truth? That God has appointed him. God has appointed him many roles, right? We know Paul as an apostle. We know that he's an evangelist. But Paul, very, very special, you know, Paul say here that he is a teacher. See that? He's a teacher of the Gentiles, religion and education. The connection. In religion, we educate people. And when we talk about education in religion, it's not just laying barely the gospel truth. For Paul, at least it's not like that. Paul laid his life before the people. Paul even gave up his life for the sake of the gospel. And that's education. That's powerful education. Religious education my friends as I come to the end of my sermon let me leave you with these questions so that you can think about them carefully diligently so that you do not 
lose your children. If education is religious, and we have talked about that, especially in the context of Malaysia, you know that there's a religious agenda to that. Since they are young, they've put in so much money to set up a lot of Kemas schools in the interior of Sarawak, you know that is, a, that is a religious agenda to that as well. What kind of religious values then is being taught to our children? You may think that these teachers, they may not have that, but the fact is that it's in the syllabus. They have to go through that syllabus. So parents, your role then comes in very, very, very important. I have heard from some of the youths the struggle whatever they have learned in the school is so much different from whatever they have heard in the church you know the Chinese have the Chinese goddess the myth right and as parents what are we doing the school has a set of worldview if we are not careful we are going to lose our children to the kind of worldview in times to come Secondly, if religion is indeed educational, and indeed it is, because the way Paul instruct, the way, you know, we are being instructed to pray, to, to live our religious life, what kind of effective religious education am I giving to my children, small group members, if you are a small group leaders, congregation, brothers and sisters in Christ, how can we exemplify the gospel truth? if none other than putting up, living up, giving up our own lives. Let us bow down our heads, think about the, the questions and respond to God in our personal prayer right now.